Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and before I get started introducing our guest here today, I want to take the time to thank the fans once again for showing all the love out there. Y'all have really showed us some love this summer, especially with the bonus segments and all the reviews that we've had so far. As we know, this is a poppin' poppin' year. We've covered albums from 91, 96, and 01, and had a great number of albums from each one of those years especially 96. So we want to thank y'all for continuing to show love from stateside and worldwide all across the globe. We see y'all, man. Continue to show love, of course, to us on social media. And as a reminder, we got something coming up right at the traditional end of summer for the summertime. You know how it is. I got to make sure that I get something in with y'all. So make sure y'all stay tuned with that. And today in the vault, I have a very special guest. And if you listen to the pod and follow us on social media, You know him well, and you know his show very well. If you listened to him earlier this summer, we had a great review of De La Soul, Stakes is High. I love talking hip-hop with this brother, man. He has a great show as well, and uh, definitely hit a milestone not too long ago. So, of course, I'm introducing none other than the most interesting man in podcasting, (laughs) your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And none other than the Miak Mac himself, <laughs> the pride of South Carolina, 12 Cow, the 12 Cow podcast. Kyle, what's going on, bro? What up, what up, what up? Beacox, man, thanks again for having me on, man. I appreciate that intro, man. It's always good to be back here. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's always good to talk hip-hop, man. Always good to talk hip-hop, man. And, and uh, Kyle's show, the 12 Cow podcast, Kyle's what I like what I like to call a podcast OG, double OG, triple OG. And I say that because Kyle just hit a very important milestone with his show. And if you're in the podcast business, you'll be very lucky if you get hmm, some of us, maybe even the 10 episodes and really the 20 episodes. You get to 50, you got something going. You get to 100, well, you've already built a habit and you might as well keep going. But when you get to 300, it's sort of like that milestone that you get to where you've reached that one you know, stat of durability. Like Cal Ripken's 2632 games played in a row, you know, <laughs> like you get like that point where you get where you keep going and you keep going because you do what you do. And no matter what, you're going to continue to do what you do, man. So before we get started, man, Kyle, congrats on 300 episodes, bro. Thanks for the content, man. Um, You always give us a wide variety of content. I laughed my ass off on the fighting in the club episode <laughs> and I had in flashback to some times myself of fights that happen in the club. And like you, I've never been in a fight in a club, but I've been right. witness to plenty of fights in the club, including fights by my own Morgan State University football team mm-hmm. and the victims that they had. So, again, man, congrats. Man, thanks. I appreciate it, man. It, it's, it's been a lot of fun. As I mentioned on that particular podcast, you don't get to 300 episodes by accident. Uh, I didn't necessarily come into podcasting with a plan. The only plan was, was just to, you know, just the same thing like what you guys do on here, man. Just create dope stuff for people to listen to. And that was all I, that was all my goal. And that's always been the goal, really, man, just to put out dope content. And, and anything that I put out, I feel like is dope. 
and uh, just talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. And I'm glad people really, you know, have stuck to it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing them out, man, for real. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. <laughs> Again, man, 300 episodes is an incredible, incredible um, uh, milestone. So congrats and keep on going. And we'll be there for 400 and for 500 oh, should it should it get there, man. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed. But what we do here, of course, y'all know, man, it's the vault. So we hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics of MBTC. And I had Kyle on for this and we talked about this. I send my schedule out when I have fellow podcasters and I, I go out and I do solicit people to come on to the show to talk about albums. Kyle picked out a couple of these and one of them, of course, you heard already with Stakes is High, came out in 96. Well, today we have another album from that great year of 1996. And this one in particular he picked and I know we're going to have fun with this one. So we're going to go back 25 years ago, obviously, to 1996 to August 27th. And we're going to go to the second studio album of none other than Outkast, A.T. Aliens. Mm. A.T. Aliens, recorded between 95 and 96 at Boss Town Recording Studios, which I think now is now officially Stanconia Studios. That is correct. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, they actually bought that studio, I believe, from Bobby Brown. Also correct. recorded at Doppler Recording Studios. Patchwork Recording Studios, Purple Dragon, Studio La Coco, um, Chunk King Recording Studio, Sound on Sound Recording, and uh, just um, a lot of different places and a lot of work went into this album. Runtime of 57 minutes and 23 seconds, of course, on LaFace Arista Records. LaFace, the pride of Atlanta, the pride of mm. Babyface and L.A. Reed. Executive producers on this, organized noise and outcast. And we'll actually get into that a little bit later in regards to the role that they played on this album. So 25 years later, Kyle, we're looking here at AT Aliens, the follow-up to Outcast debut. Southern playlist of Cadillac Music, which came out in 1994, which really put Outcast on the scene. To me, I think really put Atlanta as a serious hip-hop contender on the scene. And I think also let people know a lot about Organized Noise as a production group and then also introduced us to the Dungeon family. I mean, all staples when we talk about Atlanta hip hop, things that you have to put in there, those entities. So this album came out in 96. And um, at this point, you know, some things had happened. Big Boy and Andre had reached their level of fame. Uh, I always, you know, point back to that, you know, the Art of Organized Noise documentary and what happened Mm -hmm. after Southern Playalistic, how everything changed for everybody, you know, and how it organized noise. They went from getting like $2,000, $3,000 for beats to the point where people were paying them tens of thousands of dollars just to come into the studio. And Dre and Big Boy had made their name. Dre went on the stage at the Source Awards and said the South got something to say, which caught a lot of people's attention and is still (laughs) (laughs) a highlight and a a clip that gets played over and over again. But into AT Aliens, um, a lot had happened in between then. And before we get into your take and how you, uh, you know, what you thought about the album. But in between this, man, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, Big Boy became a father in between this Mm -hmm. time in 1995. His first daughter, Jordan, was born. You know, Andre was actually in a relationship at that particular time. He was in a relationship, none other than with Total's Keisha Spivey, and they were and they broke up. This eventually led to the beginning of the relationship with none other than Erica Badu. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And Andre was never the same afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but they stepped into to make this follow up album. And really what started and with the the another thing about this is that, you know, with 
the first Outcast album, you could definitely tell like they were into like you know drinking and partying and also smoking weed. Well, at this time, Dre underwent some some changes. He actually became vegan and was you know went through a level of sobriety. He stopped smoking, stopped drinking, and started getting into more spiritual spirituality. He started going into a period of self discovery. So if there was like a difference between the two of them before Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, by the time we got to this point, AT Aliens, there was definitely a marked difference between Big Boy and Andre, especially in their personalities. So that's really where I saw that the contrast began. They started basically their their production career here. I mean, they started actually producing mm-hmm. on this album themselves and also Mr. DJ, who have now been known as the production trio of Earth Tone 3. And um, Organized Noise produced on this as well. But some of the people in, involved in this, a lot of the Dungeon family, almost shoot. I mean, Big Gip, Cool Breeze, Timo, Cujo, Witch Doctor, <laughs> Big Rube, Joy as well. Um, I mean, and the, some of the, the main players, production players, Preston Crump, Chance Parkman, who you hear on the 13th floor, his piano work on there. Really, uh, it started a, a period of discovery and also started where they wanted to show people that they just weren't a one-hit wonder. So the sophomore album, we all know, Kyle, is a very, very important step in the artist's career to be able to show that you have staying power, to see whether or not that money's going to be short or if that money could potentially be long. That's the scene right there for AT Aliens. But enough mm-hmm. for me. Let's go ahead and get into what you thought about the album. Now, at this point, you were still in school at South Carolina State, if I remember correctly. Um, that is correct. And um, <laughs> you're from the South. Um, you're from South Carolina. You're obviously now uh, Atlanta. You consider Atlanta your home. It is your home. Yes. Um, so this is something that, you know, if you're in the South, you knew Outkast. And if you listen to hip hop, you know, it's a big, you know, either you or your friends were big fans of fans of Outkast. So let's go into what it was like at them. What Kyle was listening to AT Aliens going into that summer of 96, which I'm guessing at that point you're already on campus getting ready to go into that last semester. So let us know what you think the first time that you heard AT Aliens, what you thought, and then um, as listening to it, man, what you've thought about it in the 25 years since and how you think it stayed with you. Oh, no doubt, man. You you hit the nail on the head. I was at South Carolina State Mm -hmm. trying to graduate. (laughs) 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 Going into my last semester, Mm -hmm. you know, coming around that last 200 yards. Yeah. But uh, it was a great time, B, man. I I tell people all the time, like, not just that time in my life, but the music was just so much. And, I mean, you, you guys have covered some of the best music to come out of the 90s, period, in particularly in, in talking about the music that came out in 1996. And this album was one of them, mm-hmm. uh, one of the crown jewels from 1996. At that particular time, man, I just remember there was a huge buzz when we knew that the album was coming, right? Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a defining moment for them because we did see, you know, their growth and their, their development. We did see them, you know, for some people, kind of come out of nowhere but not for us because we saw them you know on southern playlist at cadillac music but we did see them get booed at the source we did yeah. see them you know really get to that point where we're figuring out okay where are they going to go now we know we know what that album sound and that game that album was incredible mm. great yes. debut album but like you said there's a lot of pressure to deliver on the sophomore album you got the 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 common sophomore jinx if you will and so I just remember that summer just wondering what it would sound like. And I remember hearing the first single, I think the first single was Elevators. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
I'll put it like this, B. When people, my friends and my contemporaries, when they heard, when they heard it, they loved it. Mm-hmm. But when they saw the video, it kind of shook them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if okay. you go back to the video, you know, it. the video is in theme with the same kind of cartoon theme that is along with the album cover and the album insert mm-hmm. uh, back when, you know, we actually bought albums yeah. <laughs> back in the day. Right. Uh, a C, a C, yeah, right. <laughs> CDs or the CD cover and the CD casing. And so when I think some people saw the visual, they were like, okay, well, you know, this don't look like, you know, Southern playlist of Cadillac music. This don't look like get up, get out. You know, this doesn't, the video didn't look like any of the singles from, you know, the previous album. So I think for some, they were a little worried. Mm. Um, but for me, man, it, it didn't sound like, I mean, elevators didn't sound like anything that we had heard before. I mean, it was funky. It was gritty. It was grimy. It was Southern hip hop mm-hmm. and outcast really, you know, they really, t- that song really took off. And then by the time the album dropped, I remember going to uh, the Prince of Orange Mall in Orangeburg, South Carolina nice. to get the CD. I got the CD, man. And I just, I remember, and, and I know you can, you can identify with this. I remember, cause I, I like, remember when you would buy an album and you just want to kind of sit in silence. Yeah. Like you don't want to do anything. Like I literally sat in the parking lot and I sat there for an hour and I listened to the entire album in the car no, because I knew if I took it, you know, to my apartment, my girl would be talking, and yeah. you know, I, I didn't want to do it. I just I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be in silence listening to this album, and I was blown away. And mm. what's interesting is now, it's weird to believe that this album is twenty five years old, but when you think about it, it still sounds and still resonates and still funky, just as it was twenty five years ago. It still moves me. It still makes me think. It still there there are little intricacies that I still pick up from this album, even listening to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a part of a debate between the second and the third album. But I mean, we don't have to get into that. To show this podcast. <laughs> but uh, but it, it is a phenomenal body of work, man. And I really it's something that, you know, it's not a, it's, I'll put it like this. It's an album that never really left my rotation. Mm-hmm. Like I listened to this album all the time. Yeah. And it still bangs, and it's still as funky as it was some twenty five years ago. Yeah, man, funky. That's the yes. That is a apt word. It is <laughs> funky, and I mean, you knew when listening to Southern Playalistic that that had a fair amount of that had a fair amount of funk. I mean, the soul on it though, because you knew a majority of it was like not even samples. It was all that was music mm-hmm. they were playing in the studio and they had musicians in there getting down. Put that up over some hip hop tracks and some hip hop drums. I mean, and you had a recipe that kind of hit people right in the face. So then you come back around to this and like you said, something completely different. Mm-hmm. And different isn't bad. You know, I I had this conversation with somebody on Twitter, you know, it's sort of like when you deal with D'Angelo and Maxwell, if you look at each of their first three albums, all three incredible albums that sound completely different from one another. Yes. You know, but still all incredible. And there's no detraction to be like, oh, well, this doesn't sound like Urban Hang Sweet or oh, that doesn't sound like Brown Sugar or oh, this doesn't sound like Voodoo or this doesn't sound like Embrya. It was all incredible work. And so I think. Outcast sort of pulls this off as we get into their catalog that they find a way to evolve and they find a way to be able to change and adapt 
And when you get the finished work, it's like, wow, y'all done did it again. And I think that's the thing that every all of us were saying. Y'all done did it again. So rewind back to 96, as I've said many times on this podcast, at this point, heading into my freshman year in high school. Yes. Mm. And I'm at the end of my summer track season and getting ready to go to high school. And the Olympics are just really like wrapping up on television. And um, the Olympics that year were in none other than Atlanta, yep, you know? Atlanta, right. Um, so this is part of the scene as this music scene and culturally where everything sort of intersect. Well, the first time that I heard something from them is obviously was the elevators track. And then mm-hmm. it was the video, like you said, Kyle. Well, first of all, the thing that catches you about elevators is just that that knock, you know what I'm saying? That knock yes. snare sound. And then and then just the 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 tones, the bass tones in the background, that vocal sample, and it's just like, okay, like this is something like literally, hey, t- turn that up real quick, you know? <laughs> and that's what caught me. The video, again, very, this is at the point where I think we're outcast. When you saw what the, the videos were in Southern Playalistic were very, you know, minimalistic, very played down. They were just like mm-hmm. kids from Atlanta, and they were showing where they were from. But at this point, it was like, y'all know where we from. And as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, in the song, they tell you right where they're from. On Headland and Delow. I mean, <laughs> you know exactly where this all started, you know? And but you start visually started getting into things which became a theme in Outcast, their videos later on, how they started developing artistically in the direction of the things visually what they were starting to do. But then you take that and it translate into the music too. So then I'm hyped because I love this song. It burned up the airwaves in DC. It burned up wow. 93.9, 95.5, like every night. And by the middle of August, it was number one on the charts, like at least every, wow. like like a week long on the top five at five, the top seven at seven, wherever it was number one, it was number one. And then the album comes out and then to make it even worse, a Google band actually remixed this. And when I mean, not like covered it, I'm talking about, they took the vocals from this an actual in the in the vocal the, in the instrumental track without the drums and put some congos over it like a socket wow. beat. So that took the mythology of that from from folks from us from DC <laughs> and took it all the way up to level ten. But right. then the album came out and then you sit sit down with it and it's like, wow, this is like you sit and you like you listen to the tracks that are on here and you go through the different ones and it wasn't just the singles it was like going through these album tracks like just being able to hit in your head like with two dope boys and a Cadillac off the top you know then to come back and be able to hear something that makes you think like Babylon and then to close it on something like like the 13th floor i mean so it's it give you a little gave you a little bit of everything really what you saw was the growth and then we didn't really know it at least i didn't that what I was seeing from them was the evolution from what was two kids from Atlanta who were really hungry to get on to almost veterans in this game or striving to become veterans were looking to establish themselves at the top in the game. And um, mm-hmm. the production, I mean, even me not even knowing that they had produced some of these tracks themselves, but it was just almost like, you know, like that comic book that you get. And then you get the next comic book in the series and you're looking to see what happens next. So then you keep turning the pages and turning the pages and turning the pages and you're blown away by what the next edition had. This is what this album did for me. Um, I was blown away. 
completely blown away. And then by the time I got into school, like this was one of the, I think two or three CDs that we played throughout that fall, you know, including like that Aaliyah's one in the million and including uh, album we'll do later on because of course what happened with Tupac was Machiavelli. So it became a heavy, heavy album in the rotation that played all the way through that fall and all the way through the rest of that school year because of all the singles that came out and then because just how great the album was. So, I mean, just incredible, man. And and to me, this is what made me be like, okay, like, these cats done put out two in a row now. Like, ain't no telling what they can do from here on out. It's no telling what they can do from here on out. And I remember when I went to go pick this up, I remember I went with my sister, and she wasn't really into hip-hop like that, and I went to go get it, and then I was like, yeah, yo, here it is. And she looked at it, she was like, this isn't an album. She was like, you sure this isn't something like related to a comic book or something? I said, no, it's AT Aliens. This is the album. I said, listen, in the source, that's what they said the name of the album was. I said, when you see the video, you see on the third line in MTV, this is what the name of the album is. It's AT Aliens. This is it. She was like, that's a weird looking cover. I'm like, yeah. I said, but it's creative though, right? It looks nice. I'm like, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I want to hear it. So took it, man. Like I said, like you, I had headphones on. And I was in like for an hour, you know, locked in and I didn't, I didn't regret it. Not a single minute. And every time I sit down to listen to this, I have to take an hour to get through the whole thing. So, oh yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> so uh, blown away. So now, man, we get into highlights. So let's get into your highlights, Kyle. What you think, you know, what your highlights are, any low lights, if you have them. And then anything in particular that you want to note, man, whether it's something related to a song production or anything else. Man, I, I think you, you said a mouthful, man. I just want to piggyback on something that, that you said that really didn't resonate with me at the time because obviously we didn't have social media or the internet. Mm-hmm. To hear that it got major play on a radio station in D.C., mm. is, I mean, that's mind-boggling because, yeah. you know, Southern Playalistic got them booed, well, them winning the, the Source Award for Best Newcomer, which was, which was they, which they should have won anyway. I mean, yeah. Biggie had like four four awards that night yeah and you know obviously the pro new york crowd ends up you know booing outcast but yeah to hear them get that kind of love and, and again i was in college so i, I wasn't mm-hmm. i didn't know that they, that they were getting love like that so that's that's major man i, yeah. I, I never something I, I guess when i think about it it probably makes sense that they would get a lot of love in dc but just to hear that that's that's crazy yeah um let me see highlights man it this album starts at a couple of levels and then it just kind of takes off like mm. um, t- two dope boys in a Cadillac, obviously, I think is, is like one of my favorite songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just to hear that and hear them going back and forth. And then I think as I'm listening to that song, I realize like these ain't the same dudes. Like Mm-mm. you can tell this. There's a difference between the end of. Southern playlist of Cadillac music and the beginning of AT aliens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, they're both personally gone through some things and they were becoming young men. And so I think to my point that I was making earlier about, you know, where it, the video and the visuals kind of made some people take a step back when I think when people started hearing this album, particularly the people, the young men in the South, I'll I'll put it like that. Mm -hmm. There were some, that could identify with the weed smoking and the drinking on Southern playlist of Cadillac music. Mm-hmm. And then 
<laughs> you get this album, you open it up, and you look at a comic book, and Dre has on a turban. And then you see the first video, and Dre has on a turban. And it's funny, B, I, I, I kid you not. Hey. The first week after this album came out, or not, I'll put it like this, maybe a, two weeks after the video dropped, mm-hmm. I went to a club, and there were three dudes in the club with turbans. Turbans on. <laughs> I mean, that just... That goes to show you the influence of Andre 3000, even yeah. when he wasn't even trying. Yes, but, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it was it was some people, and not a lot, but it, I, I heard some rumblings of some cats that were just like, man, what is this, you know, this this don't sound the same like, you know, mm. Southern Playlist. Well, it's not supposed to. And yeah. What we had was we had was growth. And then you touched on it a little earlier, their dabble in production really really changed stuff and, and it wasn't until i i listened I, I listened to the album and it, you know as i was going through the liner notes and i'm like wait a minute this this isn't sample this is live instrumentation mm-hmm. like that blew me away mm-hmm. i was like who did because there was nobody bringing a band or or artists in to record and just making funky shit i, I, I don't want to say nobody but it wasn't a lot of people that were doing it not that particular time Definitely not hip hop MCs from the South. Maybe UGK, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the album, like I said, just takes off from there. My favorite song on the album, Wheels of Steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that joint because of the scratching. Yeah. Uh, anytime you can put scratching in a record, I'm, I'm with it. Nice. Um, but it, it just it takes off and it it doesn't. There's no lull in this album, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything. I don't want to sound cliche, but everything is a highlight. Like. Yeah. There's, you could just put this on and put it on random shuffle and be good with any song that comes up. Yeah. This is Outkast's, you know, national coming out party, if you will. Mm, yeah. uh, I think for those of us who were in the South, we knew, uh, or, or if you were a fan of Outkast at the time, you knew, but this was their breakout for everybody else to see who they were and who they were trying to become. And, um, you know, I, I said it on my podcast before, like they really represented us as, as Southern, you know, because at one point in time in hip hop, especially early in hip hop, it wasn't cool to be from the South. Yeah. I mean, you you Mm-mm. got, you know, you we were called Bamas. And, Bamas, <laughs> yes. And, you know, country or whatever. You talk mm-hmm. funny, you talk. And they made us proud to be from the South. And the thing was, was that the knock was, was that. Southern rap was always associated with booty shake, which is not wrong with booty mm. shake. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of booty shake in yeah. a club when I'm dancing. Yeah. It's not something I'm going to sit and listen to, but at the same time, uh, they bought lyricism. And, and this album, a long way of answering your question, everything's a highlight for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think Big Boy's verse on Mainstream, <sighs> I think that might be his best verse on the album. Um, or at least I'll put it like this is my favorite verse of Big Boys on the album. Mm-hmm. But um, there are no misses. Mm. Even extraterrestrial, it took me a minute to kind of warm up to that, but it's still a dope song. Like there's no skips for me on this album. Yeah. This is a very complete package. And I think, you know, whatever they intended to do with this album, they did it and exceeded. And I think, you know, from record sales, if I'm not mistaken, Southern Playlistic sold like one million. And I think this sold like 1.5 or maybe 2 million. So they, mm-hmm. they, they, they got progressively better with their numbers. And, you know, just to piggyback off something you said, mm-hmm. there are no outcast album, no two outcast albums sound the same. Nope. Absolutely and not. So, you know, the, so they, they started that trend with this album and it's 
like I said, man, it, <laughs> nothing but highs, no lows for me on this one. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, big boy said it, man. Like when they, when they came up, it's literally, he said, you know, you know, in the Cadillac, they went from calling us players balls to ballers, putting us out on the map. Like we was little rock to banging. Yes. They said motherfucking playing, they paying, you know? Pain. So it's like, you know, they used to, they went from, they called us, went from players balls to ballers. I mean, that was the come up was real. The come up was real for them, man. Mm-hmm. They really, as you said, I mean, there were lots of artists in the South that had success. But to me, I say that the true rise of the South, as far as being accepted commercially, so many different other places, man, started with Outkast. And I mean, no disrespect to Ghetto Boys or to anybody in Texas, or anybody in Louisiana mm-hmm. or Luke and Two Live Crew or anybody like that. But to me, man, that's really when I think folks started to look at. And then, like you said, it wasn't like a gimmick or anything like that. It was like, yo, these dudes, they really got some bars and they can spit. And not only that, but these producers can make some music. You know, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right, man. Um, Highlights. So, like you said, man, there's not there's not really slow down in this album at all, man. Um, uh, two dope boys in the Cadillac. I mean, to be able to have that as your opening track, like for you to hit people right, <laughs> know, right? in them with it. I mean, just to be able to hit them, I mean, just right out the gate with something like this, um, you know, and then to have a track like AT Aliens be your second, you know, your second single and that that hook, which everybody knows, which you think about it. And if you, you know, if you read it, it might seem a little corny to you. But when you put it in the song, it's like. That hook mm-hmm. is the shit. I mean, it's, yes. you know, <laughs> and there's some down yes. South Atlanta type shit that if you like you, if you know some down South shit, it makes perfect sense to you. But that is a jam, man. Um, awesome. The whole thing with wheels of steel. This is just the big thing that I think everyone needs to know. Big boy and Dre before anything else, they were hip hop fans. They were big, big hip hop mm-hmm. fans, especially Dre yes. himself, man. And so this is just, I think to them, just paying homage to, the beginnings of hip hop and mixing and scratching, like you said, crazy scratching on there. Um, shout outs to Mr. DJ as well. Um, mm-hmm. But then you shout pick out. up into stuff like that, man, with Jazzy Bell, which is just, a, again, another incredible track. And to me, one of the best tracks on here before, uh, produced by Organized Noise. Um, Elevator speaks for itself. But when you get into the nitty gritty, though, and, out, and tracks like Babylon and really mm, like, you know, the yeah. message that's in Babylon and tracks like Mainstream and Decatur Psalm and Millennium. And then to, you know, really even take that into tracks, even like extraterrestrial, like you said, took takes a little bit of maybe of getting used to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the messages in these songs and the way that they, like you said, they changed. It was like you listening to Andre. Andre sounds a lot more animated on Southern Playlistic on this. He's mm-hmm. even kill. I mean, it's almost like he's just like, you know, I'm delivering this message to you and I need to get it out in the same voice. No matter what it is, you're going to listen to what I'm saying. You know, you're not going to listen to how I'm saying it. You're going to listen to what I'm saying. And he was a lot more controlled, I think, on this. And even Big Boy, the way that he had evolved, he was, I think, a much better MC on this. Like Big Boy to me is somebody yes. that, you know, everybody will get give, you know, Dre 3000 his props because, you know, but I always tell people Big Boy improved with every single outcast album that came out. You know, Fair. he only got better. He only got better. But to go through like those little tracks, like those, you know, Wailing and, and Mainstream and Decatur Song, Millennium. I mean, incredible, incredible album tracks, things that will never see the light of day 
on a radio station or you'll see a video for, but just incredible production. And then to be able to bring the whole team on, uh, this is the first time mm-hmm. that I had heard Witch Doctor on something. I mean, this is the first time that I remember hearing him. And Witch Doctor was one of the Dungeon Family members that put out, you know, that SWAT, a healing, ritu- healing, uh, um, healing ritual, yes. you know, yes. in 98, which is an <laughs> underground slept on classic yes. to me. Yes. Um, but then bringing in Goody Mom and um, Cool Breeze who we would all come to know within a couple of years, man. The whole team sort of got on. The The thing that I respected about Outcast and with the Dungeon family is that everybody got a chance to contribute. Everybody got a chance to be a part of the effort. And that's to me why I think they were so successful. But you put this in and you ride, man. Um, organized Noise still did their thing. At this point, they were still producing for Outcast, still producing for Goody Mob, but they were on their way to heading on and getting their recording deal and their production deal with Interscope. So they were ceding some of the the creative control to Outcast as they produced everything on Southern Playlistic. You know, Dre wanted to drab, dabble in producing. Big Boy wanted to do the same. So they let them do it. And it's a decision that really paid off because as the albums went on, Outcast got more involved in the production and it mm-hmm. paid off handsomely in their in their releases that, that that followed after this, man. So no low lights, obviously, man. Just incredible production. Um, the titles of these tracks is something that I wrote down. Outcast is very intentional about a lot of the album cho- the choices for the songs that they have on their albums and the meanings that are beyond behind them. Sometimes they're simple. But then sometimes it's like, you know, it'll sit and stop and make you think, especially when you listen to the lyrics and what's being said on those songs. I mean, you everything from if you look at Aquemini with Liberation, a song like Rosa Parks, you know, um, yep. even the song itself, Aquemini, you know, uh, I mean, it's just it's great. I could I could talk about this album forever and especially <laughs> the production, but we're not going to get into that. Now I want to get into the fun part. And your notable quotable, our notable quotables. So you mentioned something about a verse earlier, man. Do you have a notable quotable that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, man. It, it's, I mean, there there are quite a few. Yeah. But um, I, I I always go back to Big Boy's verse on um, mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, just his flow. Mm-hmm. His his flow, and I think again, like you said. Big Boy has gotten to a point where he's he's even now where he's still rapping where he's just getting better and better. Mm-hmm. He does not have the 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 acclaim, I guess, if you will, from people. But the mm-hmm. people who know know that Big Boy can rhyme. Absolutely. And I mean, like he's not overshadowed by Dre on any of these songs. He's not bodied by Dre on any of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are truly a great complement to Absolutely. each other in spite of the differences and and you you saw where on Southern Playlistic they were probably you know that I think they're maybe a year apart in age mm-hmm. but they probably were closer as far as like maybe in, as far as doing in, doing the same stuff cuz they were probably doing like smoking drinking party whatever mm-hmm. the case may be you know but on this album like you mentioned earlier you know big boy has become a father you know Dre's mm-hmm. in this relationship and their life experiences and Dre becomes a vegan so and and I remember hearing a story where when they went to tour for this album, mm-hmm. like they weren't even on the same tour bus anymore. Like yeah. Dre had his tour bus, Big Boy. Now on the Big Boy tour bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you already know. Anything goes, you know, but a yeah. Dre tour bus, 
you know, you got sage and, you know, incense and yeah. people chanting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not a whole bunch of women on there. You know, mm-hmm. big boy ain't no telling what's going on over there. So yeah, right. um, just to hear their their differences. But yeah, my notable quotable is, is uh, big boy's verse on mainstream. And I, I just nice. I love that. I mean, like, but even in trying to pick a notable quote, to be honest. Yeah, I probably could pick like four other songs. I mean, because they don't waste any time with their verses. They they are very deliberate. They're very intentional. And I think what they do is on each of these songs is that they give you a little nugget on something. Mm-hmm. And it might not be something really, really deep, but it, they want you to think about something. And it, it's it never comes off as preachy. Like I remember mm-hmm. um, one day I was just riding in the car, man, and this came on and I was listening to Decatur Psalm. And it's funny because like, at one point in time, like when I moved here to, I moved to Atlanta in 97. So mm-hmm. I moved right after, I moved a year after this album dropped. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be, I was living in Decatur. And I was listening to the hook, it won't be over till that big girl from Decatur sing. And I started, and so you hear the choir in the background. So I started thinking about church and I was like, you know, it's about a million churches in Decatur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so it's like, it's something subtle. It's something that you don't really think about, but yeah. it, it's like you said, they're very intentional without being, you know, preachy or anything like that. But yeah. I thought that was it, like, it, I, man, I just happened to be sitting at a light, like, damn, it's a lot of churches in Decatur. I wonder if this is why they said that, you right. know, like that. So, <laughs> and, you know, and trust me, if, if you go to any church in Decatur, it's going to be some big girl in there singing. Singing, <laughs> singing so, her tail off. Right. So, yeah, man, that that's uh, that that would be my notable quotable, man. Um, main, uh, big boys versus mainstream. Nice. Cool. Well, my notable quotable actually comes from Dre. Um, OK. On uh, on 13th floor and, you know, what he says on that. And it's like the verse itself, man, just, you know, I bet you never heard of a player with no game told the truth to get what I want. But I shot it with no shame. Take this music that's serious while others entertain. I see they're making paper, so I guess I can't complain. Or can I? I feel they're disrespecting the whole thing. Them hooks like selling dopes to black folks. And I choke when they food they serve ain't tasting right. My stomach can't digest it even when I bless it. I'm confessing one more lesson from the South. We in the house tonight. Now, Hootie, who wants to pose? I suppose we rolls through the headland and the low. Well, me and my niggas surpassed the flow and got down for odds like high catches. My mind catches flashbacks to the black past where my close niggas laugh at. The southern slang, figure ways and mojo chicken wings. I grew up on booty shake. We did not know no better thing. So go ahead and diss it while real hip hoppers listen. Started by African band batter. So you and your partner gather your thoughts. So... That goes back to that whole thing when you talk about the South and what people thought about the South. While my close niggas laugh at, people laughed at their Southern slang and how they talked mm-hmm. and everything about their lifestyle. They thought that the South was all booty music and it was all shit like Luke and bass and everything else. Right. And he said, we did not know no better thing. So go ahead and diss it while real hip hoppers listen. I mean, yep. come Thanks. on. You know, Dre to me at that time, man, from that Southern Playalistic, I would say, man, even all the way up until Aquemni, always had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, man. Um, you can definitely hear it in so in each one of those albums where he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder where he feels like he has something to prove. Like in Southern Playalistic, he was trying to prove himself to the world. I think in this, he was trying to prove himself to hip hop. And in mm-hmm. Aquemni, I feel like he was trying to prove like he still had it. You know, right. that he hadn't gone right. crazy. He hadn't gone soft, even though, <laughs> you know, he was wearing like, you know, polka dot pants and 
and you know, and, and 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 pink and pink uh, ascots, and you know, he was uh, all that stuff, you know. But the dude, man, definitely, I always felt like he had a chip on his shoulder, and this is something here that just speaks to me, and just the things that he put in here, the fact that he says, "My stomach can't digest it, even when I bless it." Speaking about you know changing his diet, and you know the food that they serving ain't tasting right, you know, and it's just like, I mean, all. <sighs> Just all those little gems that he just drops in these verses. And Dre has always you know been great funny? at doing that. Yeah. Now to cut you off, you know what's funny? Yeah. Like the, when he said Mojo Chicken Wings, I didn't know what that meant until I moved here. <laughs> like I, that was a place where they, where they served chicken wings. I was like, yeah. okay, oh, so now, oh, Mojo. Okay, that's what, I mean, like like you said, man, it's just little gems like that, man. Yeah. It's funny. You got me so hyped. I forgot to even recite my verse, man. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can look it up mainstream, but I, yeah, mainstream. I, man, yeah. I totally. I, I'm so I'm so geeked up talking about this. I totally forgot to spit my verse. My bad. Man, it's all good, man. It's, it's all good. They can look it up. You know what I'm saying? Go look up right. the lyrics. They everywhere now. Shoot, before it used to be only one place you can get lyrics. That was ohhla.com. And now yeah, you can get them. Yes, and, yes, and, that was my spot. <laughs> and now you can get them everywhere. They got a million and one lyric sites yeah. out there. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I mean, it's tons, tons of quotables on here, man. Um, another one to me is I love both of their verses on Millennium. You know, and yes. um, it's I mean, they really had grown at this point, man. You could definitely tell, man. As MCs, they both took a step up. Even Big Boy, he was still on some like you know pimp and player stuff, but he had some uh, some some more substance behind what he was saying. Mm -hmm. They both had substance behind what they were saying, but Dre was definitely in a mode where he wasn't playing any type of games, and he was going to make sure that he was going to drop some gems for you. So even yeah. if the song was something like an AT Aliens or even something like Jazzy Bell, he was going to make sure he was going to drop some gems for you, man. So just to sort of talk about this, man, and you you mentioned it briefly in the beginning when people talk about Outkast's catalog. And mm -hmm. we mentioned, of course, the first three off the top, the Southern Playalistic, out, the AT Aliens, and the Equimna. And then you said there's a lot of people that sort of have this discussion about between AT Aliens and Equimna, which one is better? Now, I always say that this is one of the toughest conversations to have because there's not a lot of people. There's only a few groups and even artists that you can have this conversation where you can have such a debate around either one or th two or three albums to decide which one is better. What order are you going to put them in? I mean, a tribe is one of those, uh, one of those um, artists, Thanks. you know, um, Jay-Z is one of those artists. Uh, you could talk even a little bit about some folks will do that with Tupac. Some folks will do that with public enemy though. I think public enemy is a little bit more clear as what's on the top <laughs> at their catalog. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, ice cube is another one. So there are a lot, some artists that you have that ability, but outcast are one of them, man. So, <laughs> okay, so this is going to be a little bit of an offbeat question. If you were going to make an argument for this to be on top of their catalog, what what argument do you make? You know, what is your argument? Like if somebody comes to tell you like, yo, you believe this is the best one. Tell me why. Mm -hmm. You know, and this Man, is just a hypothetical because, you know, not no, saying no, that no. you do. No, that's great. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is a great way to form that question. Because I actually think think of criminal slightly better, yeah. But well, you know, we'll, we'll keep it here. Mm -hmm. But I would probably say one: you have to you have to measure it by context first and foremost. Because sometimes, and you and I both, we're both on the internet. Uh, a lot of times, when you're having this debate and stuff like that with people on social media, it's hard for them to, particularly if they weren't there or mm -hmm. around at that particular time 
you know, you don't know the impact. Now you can look at album sales and all this stuff like that, but you don't know the impact of, like I said, like you mentioned earlier, getting outcast, getting major airplay every day on a DC radio station. That mm. didn't happen on Southern playlistic Cadillac music. Yeah. So for it to happen on AT, for it to happen on Aquemini, it had to have happened on, you know, AT aliens first. So AT aliens in a way opened the door mm. for the, the, the national and global acceptance of, Aquemini. Yeah. So I would probably say to make a case for it, you really have to go kind of song by song. Mm. And it's, I might say that ATLNs is a little bit funkier. Mm. Um, just a little bit. Okay. Uh, Aquemini probably has more range as far as its sound. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think you might have Dre and Big Boy at their rapping at their rapping peaks yes. at that particular time because at that point when we heard uh, Aquemini, I think because of you correct me if I'm wrong, ATLN's got four and a half mics, right? In the source? ATLN's got four actually. So four. Wow. So, okay. So yeah, so, so yeah. So Southern Playlistic, I think, got four and a half. That got four and a half. That got four and okay, a half. Okay, so it got four and a half. Mm -hmm. This one got four. Mm -hmm. And so when they went into the studio they felt really disrespected by the source Absolutely. as far as the mics were concerned. Yeah. And Big Boy even mentioned it in the, in the song, mm -hmm. um, in um, the Rosa Parks joint. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, man. I think you, you got peak Big Boy and peak Dre on um, mm -hmm. Equimini, but this album right here, man, ATL, is, it did so much. And it, it really showed the growth and maturity of Dre and Big Boy. And it really showed that they were, drawing a line in the sand and really putting Atlanta on their back. I mean, yeah. because like you mentioned earlier at that particular time, like I said, I was in college, but I was about to move here. Mm -hmm. I, if, if you don't have Southern playlist of Cadillac music, if you, if you don't have AT aliens for sure, mm -hmm. Atlanta's dominance, if you will, in hip hop over these last 20 plus years doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. There's no way it does it. It doesn't even come close. Atlanta's a, a, a blip in hip hop history if this album does not get made the way that it does. So yeah. on that reason alone, I would put AT Aliens over Equimini and say it was better because it was the one that virtually kicked the door down mm. because there were doors that were closed for Southern Playalistic in spite of, you know, Players Ball and, you know, the, the tracks that they had that they were re released, like Get Up, Get Out. Mm -hmm. Um but the, between the album, between the visuals, it they literally put because there was nobody else really from Atlanta, Atlanta artists at that particular time, particularly the hip hop artists were, they were really popular locally. They mm -hmm. did you know outside of Atlanta and outside of Georgia, they weren't really that popular. So, going back to something you said earlier, Atlanta was known for at that particular time was LaFace Records. Mm -hmm. So. It was a label started and created by L.A. Reid and Babyface. Well, they, you know, those are R&B guys. They ain't know nothing so, about hip-hop, yeah. Right, <laughs> right. So uh, I think, I don't even think the city had a hip-hop station at the time. So, mm, uh, wow. so there was a lot, there was a lot riding on this album. And of course, you know, they didn't know it at the time. But to answer your question, I, I think you make the case for AT Aliens because this was the one. Mm -hmm. This was the one that blew the doors down and 
not only open it up for Atlanta, but subsequently open it up for Atlanta and the rest of the South. Mm. If you don't have this album, then the South never takes over. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a great argument. And I think you could make the argument that without this, you not getting something like a, you're not getting a ludicrous, you know, Mm -mm, you're you're not getting a TI, you know, you're not even getting, I even think even a Gucci or a Jeezy without stuff like this, man, without having organized noise, be who they are. I don't think you're getting even these producers from, from Atlanta, like Shorty red and, and Metro Bowman even now, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think like, to me, this is, this is, I would have to say, if I have to make it an equivalent to another group's discography, to me, this is like their version of Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet. You know, um, I think this is, um, everybody knows when you talk about Public Enemy, their best album, the one that everybody talks about, who is, which is, you know, depending on who you talk to, and a lot of people, especially of a certain <laughs> right. age, will say the greatest hip-hop album of all time is It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. But what right. I remember Chuck D saying about Fear of a Black Planet, he says, It Takes a Nation was more of our nation-building album. He said, Fear of a Black Planet was our global album. That's the album mm. that introduced the world to to Public Enemy, you know? And if there was an album that introduced the world to Outkast, it was AT Aliens. And just mm-hmm. the impact that you talk about about what it did for Atlanta hip hop. I mean, this really, like you said, kicked down the door. Cause when you head into late nineties, into the two thousands, I mean, at this point in time, Dre and big boy are veterans and have proven themselves, but what are right behind them and not just with the dungeon family, but then also these dungeon family, the next generation of them. And then also these other artists that follow, you get those ludicrouses, you get those TIs, you get those Jeezy's, you get those Gucci's, you get, I mean, all these different artists from Atlanta that are starting to emerge that become huge. And then everybody from Atlanta has a seat at the table now, you know? Right. I mean, you can give even credit to JD for doing what he did, man. But even I would say him having to do the work that he did, I think that JD even uh, benefited from Atlanta blowing up like that because then it made him, even though he was a big player, it made him even bigger player in the game later on in the decade heading into the 2000s. So, you know, labels like So So Deaf benefited from what they were able to do at LaFace. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa. They would have been able to benefit from each other. They really kind of worked hand in hand. So what I say, though, is that's my case to it, is that oh, this no is the album that introduced Outkast to the world. The world, Craig, you know? so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're right, man. And it was... It was one of those albums where, like I said, I was at the time I was about to graduate from South from South Carolina State University. I knew once I graduated, I was going to wait a while. And then I was ultimately my destination was Atlanta. Mm, nice. And it was because, you know, of a group like Outkast and, and an album like this made it cool to be in Atlanta. I mean, they yeah. named the album AT Aliens. AT Aliens, yeah. And at that particular time, the Atlanta, had just like you said, it just had the Olympics in 1996. And so there was an influx of people coming. Mm. And then obviously you had, you know, the the world-renowned Freaknik, yeah. uh, which I was a part of. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it was, it, was, it was like it was the place to be. So it was a place much like, you know, growing up, like you growing up in D.C., place where if you were young, if you were black, you wanted to be because you could see people that looked like yourself that were making money and, and was going to have a, you know, you had a pretty good chance of having a pretty decent lifestyle. I'll be honest now, when I moved here in 97, I didn't know that I'd 
you know, be here this. I've lived here longer than I've lived any other place. So this wow. is home. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's it's that album. And, and I, I remember even just, you know, hearing songs where they're shouting out these streets. And it's like one day you're just driving in on the street and, you know, next thing you know, you're actually on the street. It's like, oh, mm. so this is Headland and Delo. Wow. Okay. Yep. I didn't know this. I didn't know this, <laughs> what this, where this was. Because yeah. they, they don't say where it is. But, I mean, if, you, if you're from here, you know where it is. This album made you want to be in Atlanta. Yeah. And um, like I said, if like if if this album doesn't get made, if Outcast doesn't take it to the next level, then our cities it, it just it never becomes what I think it, it ultimately became. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've talked to a lot of people who are now living in Atlanta who, you know, came from, you know, places like Chattanooga and came from Savannah. Mm-hmm and came from Jacksonville and came from Birmingham and, you know, came from Jackson that they all wanted to make it to one of a couple of places. It was either new Orleans or Atlanta and Atlanta was a big place to be at, at that particular time. And so there was an influx of people that led to another influx of people because it Mm -hmm. Atlanta became a it and happening spot to be at. And I think this album takes a big part of the credit, you know, because of outcasts and because of this album. So awesome, man. Well, Kyle, we get to the end, man. You know what it is. Um, We get to the test of time (laughs) to see what we think it is. Do we think it's a certified classic, borderline classic, a classic just to this time, or not a classic at all, and give that a rating of 7 to 10. 7, we don't feel as strongly about it, and 10, we feel very strongly about it. So, what's up? What you say? Man, this is a certified classic. Uh, Yeah. I feel 10 out of 10, this is a certified classic. This album... I think is it not only has stood the test of time, but it is one of those albums, which in what I think a classic should be. And you guys talk about this each week where it gets not only gets better with time, but you're able to take something from the album each time that you listen to it. Maybe that you didn't hear. Maybe maybe it could be something as simple as hearing a snare or a kick drum that you didn't hear. And mm-hmm. you've been hearing this album for 25 years, but now all of a sudden, okay, is the snare on this particular song? Oh, wow, I never heard that before. You know, mm-hmm. because this particular day you're listening to it and you got your AirPods in mm-hmm. and it's more, the sound is more pronounced. Yeah. Um, or it might be a verse or something that Big Boy or Dre said that, you know, maybe flew over your head because, like mm-hmm. you said, you were younger then. So yeah. now you've experienced life a little bit more. Oh, I know what he's talking about when he says that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this album, man, I think it still resonates with so many people. Uh, it, it, You know, it don't take much to, if you mention it on social media, somebody's going to say, you know, Aquemini, and then it's going to be a battle back and forth, yeah. much like, you know, Tribe does with, uh, you know, Low End Theory. And, and and Marauders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, you know, you have fans. I mean, like, I've had people tell me straight up, like, They'll say, oh, this is a five mic album. Aquemini is four and a half. And I'm like, no, I don't mm. think so. But hey, you know, I think they're both five mic albums. But this album, I think um, they did what they set out to do and exceeded expectations because, mm-hmm. again, this is their sophomore album. Yeah. This is their sophomore album. And you go from, and I, I want to reiterate a point that you hit on earlier Organized Noise, which was, a, you know, they were becoming legends at the time, at this particular time. Mm. They had their hand in and all over their first album, mm-hmm. Southern Play, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music. And so the sophomore album comes, and, you know, naturally groups want to, you know, 
people want to still stick with the same format, well, organized noise kind of stepped back a little bit and let Outkast, you know, kind of find their way, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, with them and and, and uh, DJ uh, Mr. DJ er- mm-hmm. and they form Earthtone. Yeah. Um. And so that doesn't happen a lot in music. Period. It definitely doesn't happen a lot in hip hop. So mm-hmm. for them to kind of step back and let you know Dre and Big Boy do their thing says even more about what they felt and how confident they were that this album was going to deliver. And it did. But yeah, I think it definitely stands the test of time. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that it's 25 years old. I feel old now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, right. But yeah, man, it, it's, it's definitely a certified classic. I think it's, um, I think it's one of those albums, man, that you mentioned, you know, the public enemies and, you know, it's, it's in that, it's up there with those albums, those those certified classic, all time classics. I think you can make a strong case that this, you could put this album up there with those, mm. you know, golden era classics, and, yeah. and and it it fit. And I think, you know, people when they sit and listen to this album and realize that it's been twenty five years and it doesn't sound old, it doesn't sound dated. None of the stuff that they're talking about is is old stuff. Yeah, um, you know. Mm. It, They'll be surprised. Absolutely. Certified classic, 10 out of 10. It's not <laughs> even a question. Um, this is two out of at least three for Outkast. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody who's heard me loathes that I think that there is an argument to be made. That you could argue that the first five projects that Outkast have come out are all classic. There's an argument. Now, the question, there's no question whatsoever to me about the first three. About mm-hmm. Southern Playalistic, AT Aliens, no and Equemna. All classics. Certified without a shadow of a doubt. Shut the front door. Go tell your mama. Those type of things. <laughs> like, that's without a doubt. <laughs> when it comes to Stanconia, uh, you know, some people will be like, that's their, that's their, okay. You know, this is dope, but I don't know. Like, the bar was too high from the first three, mm-hmm. but this is still dope. But there's an argument to be made for that. I mean, speaker about Love Below, from a certain perspective, yeah, we would have preferred that to embed the two of them together. Um, right. But it was what it was. I mean, but that still is an incredible album. And then let's not even talk about Idlewild. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, yes. that's, you know, anyway. But there's an argument but to, to be point, made. That's, you, yeah. you make a great point. Yeah. That's, you can actually make that case. Yeah, you can make the case. And I don't think that you would get a big argument from a lot of people. To me, I say, when it comes to hip-hop groups there's like a handful that you could take their catalog and put it up against them. I did a tale of the tape between outcast and tribe. And to me, the only clear winners I really had only for tribe were uh low end theory. And that was the only one. And that mm. was going up against this. Now, right. if that one against this, that tells you how much, how good I feel about the low end theory. This is still an incredible <laughs> album, but there are not right. many groups that you could take their catalog, match it up against anybody and say they win for sure. I mean, we're talking about Gangstar. We're talking about EPMD. You're talking about Public Enemy, um, Tribe Called Quest, um, Wu-Tang. Any one of those groups, you could take them and Outkast matches up pretty damn well. They really do. Mm-hmm. And this is two of, th- two of three for me. And this album, like I said, introduced Outkast to the world. If it got played everywhere from radio stations in D.C., down to radio stations in Atlanta and Savannah to probably as far west as Dallas or maybe even California. 
and yeah, you were they they even praise it now in places like Germany and Switzerland and anywhere else you could think about where hip hop is big. This is a, a staple and an album that if you're on Twitterverse and you're on a part of hip hop Twitter, you know people love this album, bro. And that just tells you about how it stands the test of time 25 years later that people are still talking about it. And people love talking about this album, like a way that I've seen very few albums talked about on hip hop Twitter, man. So, yeah, this this is it. This is it. Mm-hmm. Outcast, AT Aliens, 25 years ago. Also released is a anniversary uh, reissue, including vinyl. They have four part vinyl reissue for AT Aliens. And I saw somebody that had it. They had a picture of it on Instagram and it looks really, really dope. If I had a functioning record player, I would have it <laughs> and I would spend some money on it. I definitely would. So no make doubt. sure, make sure y'all go check it out, man, wherever you can find music, make sure that you, um, you go, you know, listen to it, reminisce, man, about those tracks, man. And, um, and you know, just let us know what you think about it. Obviously, man, it's, um, a great piece of work and 25 years later, still, still very relevant and still, um, sounds as fresh as it did the day when it came out. So, Kyle, man, we always want to thank you for coming on, brother. It's always a blast talking hip-hop. Man, as always, we want to make sure that we give you a chance to shout out your platform, social media handles, and anything special that you're working on that you want us to look out for. Oh, no doubt, man. Again, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it, man. This is this is it's always fun, man, and, and, and I enjoy listening to you and the fellas. Uh, it's always an adventure trying to figure out who's going to. <laughs> who's gonna <laughs> not like something or whatever yeah man but i love the the authenticity of of the podcast and you know i'm always you know shouting y'all out and stuff man so i appreciate the opportunity to come on here uh you guys can check me out uh 12 kyle podcast uh the podcast drops every thursday so make sure that you uh subscribe sometimes from time to time i'll drop bonus episodes on sundays uh so make sure that you subscribe to the 12 kyle podcast you can find it on any DSP, we're on them all. So you know, mm-hmm. just find one and subscribe from there. Uh, you can hit me up on social media at 12 Kyle across the board, Twitter, Facebook, and IG. Yeah, there you go. 12 Kyle, the 12 Kyle podcast each and every Thursday. And make sure you're checking out those bonus episodes. We're going to be making sure that we're tuned in to episode 301, man. Kyle always shows love to the show. We make sure that we show love back, man. So appreciate it, Kyle. We're going to be looking out for the Appreciate for it, all the stuff that's coming out, man. We know you got some dope content coming up. Oh, no doubt. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us on our, out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the link in our any one of our social media pages in the bio, you'll find our link tree. There you'll find all of our streaming sources and as well all of our social media pages. Again, you can follow The Vault on at Vault CMR Podcast on Instagram at Vault Classic on Twitter and on Facebook and YouTube. You can search the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. Let us know what you think. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram 
at IVECRE8.